Hi, I'm Claudia and you're listening to The Brain and Brand Show, where you'll hear science and inspiration from guests like neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart with Timothy Maurice. Welcome back to The Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice. As a behavioral psychology author, it is a pleasure to explore with you the brain and the power of the consuming mind. In today's show, I speak to two neurologists, a wife and husband duo that's changing the brain health game. We take a fascinating look into brain health, exploring nine foods and ways to not only boost your brain power, but position your brain to have laser focus, more memory capacity, and reduce decline. They have pioneered a concept called the Neuro 9, which they will unpack. They also explained to me how I became a faster speaker on stage, increasing my ability to access my memory and recall information off the top of my head much quicker. In line with this show's mission, this episode will offer practical tips to help you get more out of your brain. Thanks so much to everyone listening from around the world. Make sure you rate us, leave a comment, and drop me a message at podcast at timothymaurice.com for any virtual talks or consulting bookings. Dr. Aisha and Dr. Dean Sherzai, as wife and husband team, they co-direct the Brain Health and Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University where they fuse medical research with holistic care to redesign the way we approach brain health. Meet the Shazais. Enjoy. What a delight. I can't wait to dive in. But before we do, I have to ask you, you guys spend a lot of time with each other. What's the secret to not driving each other crazy? <laughs> the question to be re- re-asked is, what's the secret for her not to go crazy with me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little hyper. I'm a little uh, out of the box. Um, uh, and uh, I think uh, my secret, there is no secret. She's the loveliest, most creative, most powerful, most beautiful, most uh, energetic and purpose-driven human being. And, and the purpose is to help reduce suffering in the world. And that was our first conversation. So she, I have no problem with her. You got to ask that question from her. So I'll let you answer that. Not to make this too but no, I um, I was going to joke around a little bit, but the honest truth is, you know, we've been together for 18 years. Um, when you have a purpose in life and when you have made a decision to work towards that purpose, the very first conversation we had was towards that bigger purpose in life. Then everything else becomes like a game, a beautiful journey. So every moment spent with this brilliant, magnificent man is is a beautiful journey. I have a grandmother who, you know, passed away with Alzheimer's. Have you ever had a family member who has experienced this? What inspires you? So along the line, uh, we met 18 years ago in Afghanistan where I was there. I went back from an IH to do some work with the with World Bank and HHS to rebuild the healthcare system. And Aisha went back uh, from medical school to with doctors that are without borders to help um, with vaccination and immunization of the children there. And we met in a party. My story is she came, sat next to me. We started talking. And one of the first conversations was, why were we there? And it was about our grandparents. Her, She lost two grandparents to Alzheimer's. And I lost two grandparents to Alzheimer's. Two grandfathers, wow. which were powerful human beings, centers of the family and the grandmothers. And uh, they, we lost them in small bits and pieces. And we saw the suffering. We saw... This, these behemoths lose pieces of themselves and feel this loss of dignity. 
And that was felt by everybody to the extent that actually our careers were shaped by that. Yeah, we, we really wanted to understand why. Why is it that someone as as magnificent as those individuals who were the leaders of the family, who were the glue and who were our heroes came to a point where they couldn't eat, they couldn't do things for themselves. And um, we actually went into this field to understand the brain better and find a treatment for it, actually. I wouldn't be doing this show. I wouldn't be doing my work as well if it wasn't for my mother's mental health challenges as well. Isn't it incredible how something so personal can inspire something that really does benefit so many different people? It, it is. really does. It is. Yes, absolutely. You know, we're in a stage where the entire world is facing a major tax on our brain health. Explain a little bit about why we shouldn't underestimate this because, you know, oftentimes you read pieces there are popular interviews on big TV shows where people go, oh, we need to do this and consider this, but people skim right past it. I want to hear from you why we should take this serious, this moment seriously. So first of all, what we're describing is uh, humanity in itself. The human brain is what makes us. It's not our, you know, we're not the fastest species. We're not the strongest species. We're not the you know, we are the most, you know, um, uh, present as far as knowledge and cognition. It doesn't make us superior to the animals, not at all. But but our brains are wh- what makes us who we are. And 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 we 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 keep focusing on a lot of things, but not in the thing that makes us who we are, not about optimizing the thing that makes us who we are. And yet at the same time, we have this this tsunami this avalanche that's overwhelming the healthcare system and nobody knows about it. The avalanche and tsunami we're talking about is that of mental health. And if you take one of them, it would, it should wake everybody up. I'm not, if you take depression, anxiety, substance abuse, um, schizophrenia, uh, the, the, the Alzheimer's uh, stroke, all of these, but let's take one of them, Alzheimer's. And we deal with all of those, uh, but, but let's take one Alzheimer's. The second costliest disease in America is heart disease at 120 billion. Third is all cancers combined at 70 billion. Alzheimer's alone, direct cost, 304 billion. Indirect cost, another $240 billion. Wow. And it's rising rapidly to the point that the cost by in the next 20 years will be more than well, anywhere between $1.1 to $3 trillion direct and indirect cost, which will by itself collapse all our systems, not our healthcare system, all our systems. Yet we're ignoring it. We're dealing with it at the point of disease. We're, we're hoping to find a pill to affect all of consciousness. Really? You don't even have a definition of consciousness. Yet you think you're going to put an antibody against some amyloid protein and you're going to reverse this process. So for the last 10 years, 12 years, Aisha and I, because we took a different journey, we've been saying that prevention is the path. Prevention is what needs to be done. And prevention is cheap. Prevention is not biohacking. Prevention is not some blue jellyfish pill that you buy over the you know, television uh, midnight. Prevention is simple things that you apply in your home, your business, your work. And it is profound and it's powerful. And it was on unpopular at first, but now everybody's accepting it. And the two of us have moved beyond the acceptance and we're applying it in community after community after community 
just the little two of us applying. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I mean, I got to tell you, I've made small tweaks and adjustment to my diet health over the years. And one of the things that I did was I started adding a lot more fruit and vegetables to my diet. I went on a juicing, like a five day juicing cleanse and I, I felt my recall increase my responsiveness on stage whenever I speak at a conference and, and I traced it back to this juicing. Is it possible? Am I going crazy? Is this the placebo effect? No, you're not. No. Um, food. Let's just talk about food right now is the most important environmental factor for brain health, because it's something that we put in our bodies two to three times a day. It literally is providing the building blocks for this amazing organ that is so active. You know, when you hold the human brain in your hand, it's kind of squishy and gel-like. It's about three pounds. It's only 2% of our body's weight, but at any moment it can consume up to 25% of body's energy. It's that active. So one fourth of the body's energy goes to the brain because it's functioning so much. So everything we do, whether it's the foods we eat or the foods that we don't eat, the movement that we choose, the people that we surround ourselves with, the kind of sleep patterns that we have, all of it affects our brain. And when it comes to food, it's so important to eat the right kinds of food because the brain can use the micronutrients, the macronutrients, and also you're not giving it things where it completely focuses on damage control instead of being in a thrive mode. So by juicing and eating more fruits and vegetables, what you did was you allowed for your brain to kind of take it easy, work brilliantly, and also use these amazing nutrients that are available in fruits and vegetables and not really work on getting rid of things that harm the brain, which are bad fats, processed foods, too much sugar, too much salt. So you allow for your brain to just function properly and and uh, you actually saw the results. Let's go into a little bit of your research. Let's share with me a few things that have surprised you guys even. You know, because remember you were inspired by your family. Then you went out and you, you looked at fusing research with food to drive proactive sort of brain health. What has surprised you along the journey and what are you enjoying? The first thing that surprised us was learning the fact that the brain continues to grow at any age. Whether you're 50, 70, 90, 110, the brain can continue to grow. Grow in a way where we have about 87 billion neurons, which are brain cells. And each of these neurons can make as little as two connections with each other or as many as 30,000 connections. And mathematically, I can't even do the math. I mean, it's just profound amount of connections and resilience that we can create. And if people knew that they can affect their brain, they can grow their brain continuously for the rest Mm -hmm. of their lives, they will actually make better decisions for themselves. Because like Dean said, our brain is not just an organ like the liver or the kidney or the heart. It is us. It's our self, it's our emotions, it's the decisions we make, it's who we are. And if we can improve that, and if we can make, create better versions of ourselves in this world, and as a result of that, make better decisions, better connections, and we, we actually will end up having a better world. So that was one of the most amazing things that I learned about the brain. What about you, Dean? No, that, that's, that's exact. that's a beautiful one. Uh, the one thing that blew me away, because I did all these amazing studies, crazy studies at, at NIH, um, 
which is um, experimental therapeutics branch of NIH. I mean, that's as wonky as it gets. We, you know, putting BDNF into the basal ganglia of the brain of the of the patient <laughs> and seeing the difference and, and you know, uh, uh, functional MRIs, everything. And we couldn't even get 1% benefit. I mean, decades of work like this, zero success. And then yeah. studies come that something like, a mind diet, which actually the, the core element of mind diet is the plant-based component, just by itself, this little diet, 53% reduction in risk of Alzheimer's, yeah. 53%. Or a Harvard wow. study and says Incredible. people who regularly do a brisk walk of about 20 minutes a day, 25 minutes a day, brisk walk, not some you know, six-syllable chemical formula injected into your basal ganglia, but a brisk walk regularly reduces your chance of Alzheimer's by 45%. Right. Incredible. Why isn't everybody just talking about this? Why isn't everybody putting it on billboards? Why isn't it being, you know, yelled at the top of a voice everywhere? Because there's no money to be made from that. And people think it's too difficult to change behavior. You're a behaviorist. You know this. It's not. Let's get rid of some of the uh, useless words like motivation and moderation because they're just words to disempower people and instead create small, incremental, smart, which is specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, time-bound, small, incremental successes that really check off that dopamine surge. And you see people succeeding in small increments. That is the most empowering behavioral change that we've implemented in community after community after community. Instead of this raw, raw motivational talks, small increments <laughs> where we meet them, not ask them to meet where we are, but we meet them where they are. We don't tell people to go vegan. We don't tell people to go, you know, some uh, or go do the marathon. If they have never exercised, your job is to do a regular walk five minutes a day for one month, because the goal is not exercise. The goal is behavior and habit. If if you've never eaten healthy, forget about everything else. Reduce sugar by 50%. It's measurable. It's attainable. And when you do that, then you say, oh my gosh, I was able to actually do this. And then the next behavior and the next behavior, the new year resolution never works. The diet of the day doesn't work. It's small incremental behavior change at personal, family, and community level that will bring the revolution that we're looking for. You know, I want, you know, I was thinking maybe I needed a motivational speaker to talk to my niece. She's slightly addicted to these chocolate bars and eating fried foods and pizzas just about every day. And she's in her mid-20s. And obviously, in your mid-20s, you can rebound a little bit quicker than people my age. So what do I say to my niece? I'll take this one and then I'll give it. Yeah. (laughs) What I'll tell uh, your niece is that, um, yes, you will not see the effects as in Alzheimer's at this point, but it is affecting your brain significantly, probably even more at this point, because it's up to age 21, you're building the brain. Although even then, there are some studies that uh, children that that have eaten poor food, bad diet, forget about ADD, we're talking about white matter disease of the brain at age 12. So it it affects the development of the brain early on. But let's say up to 21, you've developed whatever brain capacity you have. After age 20 or so, 
you start the path of maintenance and growth or for the great majority, the decline starts. But for two, two decades, you won't see the decline. You won't feel it because you have a brain, you have a bank account, what we call cognitive reserve. So the reserve is dwindling, but you're not noticing it, but it's affecting your body, your brain, and you're seeing some signs of it. Your focus is being affected. Your processing speed is being affected. You're not as effective. Your sleep cycles are being affected. You're not as awake and alert and present as usual. And you just pass it off as, oh, I'm busy. No, those are the beginnings of the decline. But the option is the other direction. If in your 20s and 30s, you take up the the full gambit of, of positive lifestyle, you actually increase your capacity exponentially, not in a magical way. Let me, one thing, focus. Focus is not a magical thing that you get if you sit in a carpet and you cross your legs and, you know, do that. All those are great. We do meditate. We do mindfulness, all of that. Focus is a gateway to consciousness, which you acquire with every action. Focus is the ability to block out sound, block out noise. I mean, literal noise and also social noise and to focus on the thing in front of you. And if you can develop that and you build that muscle with every action, you've just opened up the gateway, the flood door of memory, executive function, and cognitive prowess. Doesn't every 20-year-old want to do that? Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for to share this episode. Aisha, did you want to comment on this as well? I wanted to... I wanted to kind of highlight um, to some of the individuals who are not really concerned about terms like Alzheimer's or dementia. You know, we always, it's difficult to actually see how our environment affects our brain. We do see the immediate effects of things like, say, for example, bad weather on our skin, right? If we sit in the sun, we, we get a sunburn, right? We are always looking for creams and makeups and things of that nature to, for outwardly, you know, looks and beauty and things of that nature. If we paid enough attention to our brain, the gain is so much more. It's way more than what you see immediately on your skin or, or on your outwardly looks. And I think we all need to pay attention to our brain in that terms of taking care of it on a daily basis. Because once we develop healthy habits and once we give that foundation and infrastructure for the brain to grow and thrive, we carry it for the rest of our lives. That means stable emotions, stable thoughts, better thinking process, being sharper, and just making great decisions for the rest of our life. It's incredible how slight shifts in what goes in us impact what comes out of us. Let's dive into what you guys frame as your neuro nine. These are foods that can assist with exactly what you're just saying. Right. Right. At the cost of making it sound gimmicky, I mean, we came up with Neuronite because, first of all, it's it's easy to remember. Acronyms are easy. Um, and also, based on our research, because we, Dean and I, we both do a lot of nutrition research. When you look at any dietary pattern, whether it's the Mediterranean diet or the MIND diet or any dietary pattern that has been studied and validated in populations, the foods that stand out that have the most neuroprotective effects that protect your brain, the cells, etc., are plants. And so we actually chose the top nine foods that have the most impact. And so we call them the neuronine. These neuronines are greens, so green leafy vegetables like spinach and arugula, whole grains, um, 
people think that grains are bad for you, but it's the difference between refined grains and whole grains that make the most difference. Refined grain, like white bread and white pasta, they're not very good because they've been stripped off all of their vitamins and minerals, but whole grains like brown rice, whole wheat bread, quinoa, whole wheat barley, those are amazing. They give you the right fiber, the right kind of protein and carbohydrate. <clears throat> the third one are um, is legumes or beans, lentils. They have amazing amount of proteins and fiber again. Then we have our cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and cauliflower and kale. They have specific compounds that are great for our brain arteries and brain cells. Then we have nuts, which are incredible sources of mono and polyunsaturated fats, the good fats. Then we have seeds, which are amazing sources of omega-3 fatty acids. The only type of fat that the brain needs are omega-3 fatty acids. People always say, you know, your brain is made out of fat. You need more fat. Nope, not really. The brain actually does not even allow saturated fats, which are found in processed foods and meats and cheeses to pass through the brain. But omega-3 fatty wow. acids that are found in flax seeds and chia seeds and algae, they're very, very good. And they build the brain. Then we have herbs and spices. Pound for pound, herbs and spices have the most anti-inflammatory compounds. And, and then comes berries. I think everybody knows that berries are great for you, but uh, the compounds found in blueberries and blackberries and strawberries are potent antioxidants and anti-inflammatories. And last but not the least, tea. People who drink tea, and especially green tea and other kinds of teas, they live longer, they have healthier brains, and it's because of compounds that um, allow for the brain to get rid of the oxidative stress and the inflammatory agents. So those are the neuronines. <laughs> you know, I'll be thinking about, you didn't mention espresso. So <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> That would have been Neuro 10. But yeah, you're talking about coffee. What does espresso do to my brain? Just hit me with it, please. Yeah, so in, in research, there is correlational data and then there is causational. Causation is very hard to find in any kind of research. Even if it's physics, it's very hard to define uh, causation. But correlation and the strength of correlation and then finding the same pattern over and over with different kind of studies gives you a pretty strong... Coffee seems to be protective. Uh, now, okay. by coffee by itself, not the sugar, not the cream and sure. all that, but coffee, yeah. Yes, yes. So, so coffee seems to be, well, there seems to be a very strong correlation, positive correlation between coffee and brain diseases. But okay. here's the caveat. People with arrhythmia shouldn't drink coffee. People with anxiety disorders shouldn't drink coffee. So, or high blood pressure. Or high blood pressure. So check with your physician. There is always nuance in, in, in all of this. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. We, even the neuro nine, we were very uncomfortable giving, you know, we're not reductionists and we hate the gimmicks sure. of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, so it's a totality. But in general, coffee seems to be protective, uh, uh, protectively related to brain health. All right, good. I love my coffee. Oh, Aisha has a oh. massive coffee. Uh, <laughs> okay. And I have to tell you, I, I drink straight espresso, no sugar, no milk, no nothing. So, oh, all right. Okay. So I, I need to understand a little bit more about your newest book, 30 Day Alzheimer's Solution. Right. So we wrote a book in 2017 titled The Alzheimer's Solution, our first book. And in that book, we gave a lot of research and objective evidence of the profound relationship between lifestyle 
and brain health and prevention of Alzheimer's specifically. We highlighted the concept of neuro, which stands for nutrition, exercise, unwind, which stands for stress management. R is for restorative sleep and O, optimizing cognitive activity. We created this acronym, self-serving, of course, because we're neurologists, but you know, to highlight the different aspects of lifestyle that can reduce the risk of Alzheimer's disease and stroke and some other cognitive diseases by up to 80 to 90%. And it's something that people can do in their homes, in their communities, in their workspaces without paying anyone a single penny. And obviously the reason is because this this tsunami, this Alzheimer's um, epi- epidemic is going to, is hitting us right now. And we have to do whatever we can to prevent it. So prevention is the new treatment. And then we wrote the second book, the 30 day Alzheimer's solution, which is focused on the why. So the, the first one, the how. sorry, sorry, the how. <laughs> so the how, as in, how do you apply this into your life? And we've included a lot of you know, uh, information on nutrition specifically, and it has more than 75 recipes because I'm a culinary artist. I went to cooking school and I got my culinary degree. And so we've highlighted the importance of nutrition as well as other lifestyle factors in providing the brain the right environment for it to function properly and stave off diseases like stroke and dementia. Well, I have a 72-year-old father who is really stubborn, and I really hope he's going to listen to this. He has uh, diabetes. His insulin, insulin levels often sort of spike, and he struggles to control it. But he loves fried food. He loves, you know, typical things that are not necessarily that good for you. What advice would you give him in terms of regulating his insulin? Yeah, ironically, as much as people think sugar is the driver of um, uh, of diabetes, it is. It, it definitely affects it. Uh, fat is a major driver at the at the cellular level, at the intracellular level, blocking the insulin receptors and all of that. We did a paper, uh, one of the largest st- studies in NHANES. We published looking at not just diabetics, pre-diabetics, mm-hmm. and even pre-diabetics had lower cognitive state. And diabetes is a, especially uncontrolled dry diabetes, is a major driver of cognitive decline and potential dementia. So that fear factor should should weigh, um, bring in the content. And then the other factor is it's not that hard. It is hard, but it, it, it's a clear path out of it. Reducing fried foods, reducing saturated fats, finding alternatives that not necessarily come as identical, but come close to those tastes. And that's what we focus on is trying to make sure that we don't leave people with a sense of deprivation, that the whole book, uh, the 30 day Alzheimer's solution, the recipes are focused on taste because if it was mm. just about health and we just ignored all taste, it's not going to, it's not going to connect. Never. It's, it's just talking heads talking to each other. Uh, so it's about <laughs> to find, find tastes that are replacements not necessarily 100% because we're not going to find 100% replacement, but at least they bring a measure of health. And that's our goal. And when we go to the communities, we actually listen to the community and say, okay, what are your normal foods? What are your natural foods? Whether it's the Filipino community or Japanese community or the Hispanic community in, in San Bernardino or in others, we actually find out what they eat. And how do we change that slightly to make it tasty and healthy and, and, and adaptive by just doing that, look yeah. at this, by just okay. doing that, you're doing 
you're reversing disease way more than any hospital system or healthcare system in the in the country. You can't ask okay. people not to eat a burger. You can't ask yeah. people not to eat an ice ice cream cake or nachos. But if you make those foods healthier, then you just kind of flip it from something like poison to medicine. There's actually a burger there. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's more than possible burger, uh, okay. and, and uh, it's it's not it's not the impossible burger. It's actually beans and 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 uh, lentils, lentils and beets and uh, lots of other herbs and spices. I want you to try that and tell me if you don't love the taste. Or come on over. Okay. And we'll make some for you. Yeah, yeah, we'll make some for you. All right, cool. And my my last question about my father: What does he replace fried chicken with? Yes. Well, um, so so there are a lot of tastes and textures that are similar. Um, and it would be an, it would be actually a conversation to find out what he likes and how he likes them. We've actually made some really good quote unquote fried chicken from mushrooms. Yes. And it was just amazing. And then see, look at mushroom. Mushroom has a lot of fiber and iron and protein, but it doesn't have the saturated fats that you find in deep fried chicken. Right. And okay. that would be an amazing replacement for it. This is a good point. This is actually the most important point you're making right here. So I grew up in Pittsburgh. I played all the sports, soccer, tennis, football, you name it. Uh, and I ate meat seven days a week. And we even went hunting and, and you know, all of that. So I, I hate it when they bring cauliflower and say cauliflower steak. No, <laughs> cauliflower is not a steak. So so let's not, let, I was about to use an expletive. Let's not lie. It's not. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is, but there are alternatives. If, as a transition, there are these um, uh, meats that are made of um, uh, soy and and pea protein, uh, pea protein yeah. and others, which have the texture right. and the taste, and they can be uh, um, uh, air fried to give it that 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 crunchiness and all of that taste, all of that. Mm. Stuff. Um, okay. The, 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 so there are actually fried chickens that are plant based. I don't don't use as much oil and are have almost I say almost because whenever you change something it could actually be tastier but because of your history with something it's your history that's binding to you to that so but it's important to know that there are alternatives Ma, Aisha makes jackfruit tacos Have you had jackfruit Oh wow. No I haven't Okay, okay so I I try not to exaggerate because because then I lose people when they try and they say, oh, no, the, the her jackfruit tacos are the best tasting thing I've eaten. And I've eaten a lot of foods in many countries. And it's her jack. Is it on the, in the book? It is in the book. It's, yeah. It is in the book. I want your audience to try the jackfruit tacos and tell me it's not okay. the greatest thing they've eaten. All right. Well, I am looking forward to this. My final question to you is, as you guys look at, impacting communities you've created some innovative ways to take your resources and make a difference please share with us how you've designed your the impact work that you do we design it from the from the population there's a concept of research called cbpr community-based participatory research in the past not even in the past even now some questionnaires are created in in uh, boston uh, from 50 year old white men and then they're applied to 70-year-old Hispanic women. And then when it fails, they say, oh, it failed. No, mm. it failed because you didn't take the community into perspective. So what we do is we take the community into consideration. We, we talk to them. We understand them. And we make the adjustments. Like we just talked about the food. 
I can't bring, you know, some tofu, something uh, to a population that's not familiar with it. You have to yeah. take their food and make it 20% healthier. Well, guess what? That's 20% of health that they wouldn't even achieve in their clinic or hospitals because hospitals are fantastic. So I'm not the kind of doctor that throws the baby out with the bathwater. Hospitals are great for sick care. They're not health care. So there's no health care in hospital systems. By changing food 20% healthier, you just created health, 20% of healthcare where there didn't exist before. Right. But with them in mind, with their food in mind, with their movement in mind, with their stressors in mind, with their sleep patterns in mind, with all of that in mind, that's how you bring change. And that's the purpose of our non-for-profit Healthy Minds Initiative. Um, it was created with this in mind to meet people where they are and adjust lifestyle measures for different communities. And so we uh, we go to different communities pre-pandemic, of course, but we've actually created a really great digital environment where we get together, assess population measures, metrics, and provide them the resources. And we're currently conducting the largest community-based research in Southern California, in the beach cities. Actually, in the United States. In the United States, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And a percentage of your proceeds go back to this work, right? Yeah, all of the profits go to the Healthy Minds Initiative. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks so much for joining me, Doctors Aisha and Dean Chirai. It means a lot. It's my Thank pleasure. You so Thank you so much for having us. And thank you to the entire brain and brand community around the world. Please share this episode with someone who could use a boost to their brain. Until next time.